We're continuing today in this series we're doing. We're in week four of the things of the Spirit. And we started, let me recap real quick. We started off week one, and these are all on YouTube. They're all, all on iTunes podcast. If you missed any, I'd encourage you to catch up uh, with them. But week one, we started with uh, 10 works of the Spirit, kind of an overarching, comprehensive view of what is the Bible's teaching of the role and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Then we looked at this idea of God being a relational God, and the story of the Bible is God working to get his presence back with us, and that the culmination of that came about for the New Testament believers on the day of Pentecost when the church was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and supernatural things uh, began to happen. We looked at that. Then last week, we started to look at the, the subject matter of spiritual gifts, that the power we receive from the Holy Spirit is, is not just to feel juiced up or to, it's not just a pep talk from God, um, but it's actually there's, there's power to do supernatural things on behalf of God and for God's glory. And we can, we've talked about all kinds of different things, talked about tongues and, well, we're going to do a whole week on tongues coming up here soon. That's a very controversial gift, tongues and interpretations, but there's gifts of, you know, words of knowledge and wisdom and faith and healing and all kinds of different kind of gifts. And today we're going to be talking about my favorite gift. It's a very particular, special gift. It's the gift of making delicious food for me. And I'm praying that more people get this gift because it's just going to make me more happy. So, um, no, today we're talking about prophecy. We, we, we did a bit of an introduction to this last week, but I want to continue. I'm going to repeat some things from last week, but we're going to do another deep dive into the subject matter of what is the spiritual gift of prophecy. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we thank you that you have sent the Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would help us to be open to receiving more of the Holy Spirit. And that you would give us faith to hear your voice, that we would seek to prophesy over one, one another, that we would be open to prophecy, that we would be wise and loving about prophecy, that you would um, encourage us and stir us on and guide us with your words. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're looking into the Christian faith, you're going to get, today you're going to get some great insights into what does it look like? What would, you know, so imagine with us, play along with us, what does it look like to actually believe the Bible, follow Jesus, and have a relationship with God? Um, so for Christians, um, we've got to be very, very clear on this, especially in the subject matter, talking about prophecy, that the Bible is our only source for doctrine and for morality. There is no other source that we get teaching or understanding about the nature of God, the nature of human beings, and the nature of salvation. It's only in God's revealed word. And what is good and evil is revealed to us in God's word. And that's the primary source, therefore, of how God speaks to us. But the Spirit also works through prophecy. And the gift of prophecy is given to uh, guide us, to encourage us, uh, sometimes to confront us and challenge us as well. What's a, a simple definition of a prophecy? A prophecy is simply when God speaks to somebody for somebody else. God gives a message to one person, and that person is to communicate that message to somebody else. That is uh, a very biblical or very basic idea of what a prophecy is. And prophecy is a very powerful, they can really change people's lives because um, you know, it's encouraging to hear God's voice in your own heart and 
you read the word and have God speak to you or you're in a worship time and God confirms something in your own heart. You get a sense of God's voice in your own spirit. Like that's really powerful and really meaningful. But I almost feel like prophecy can be another level where God cares about us and loves us so much that he would give an important message to somebody else to externally validate the things that we might sense ourselves. That's pretty, pretty encouraging, that, that God would go out of his way to give a, a special prophetic word to an individual that they might then share it with us. And we, we can know it's not just... Because sometimes you can say, like, do, you know, am I hearing from God? Is this really real? Like, you know, I sense this and this. I'm not sure about it. And then, and then somebody else speaks the word, word of God to you. You're like, wow, what an encouragement. Let me give you, before I go any further into this, let me give you an example of a, a prophecy in my own life or a couple of prophecies in my own life many years ago now. Um, my wife and I, when we were praying about where we were going to move and we felt like God had called us to start a church and we weren't sure where we were going to go, we had moved to um, St. Louis, Missouri for a year of uh, training and we were at a Jubilee Church there in St. Louis and uh, they were training us and we were at a prayer time, and we had started to really felt like God was calling us to come to Chicago. There was a group here that we were meeting and running the Alpha course and doing different things, and um, we were praying about should we come, should we join that group and be a part of that. And, um, and so at this prayer time, uh, there was various leaders there, and there was a, a pastor who was visiting from the U.K., and his name is Jeremy Simpkins, and we start praying, and, and he comes to us and basically says, hey, I feel like God's speaking to you guys, and shared some prophecies with us. And um, I shared two with you, and I, I don't know Jeremy super well, but uh, these really hit home. They really validated um, our calling, because it's a big decision. Like, should we move? Should we go somewhere and do something for God? It's a really big thing. And the, the bigger the thing that you feel called to do, the clearer you need to, need to hear from God on it. Um, you know, there's lots of things we don't need to hear from God on because, well, that's the wrong way to say it. We've already heard from God on lots of things. <laughs> so we don't, need new, we don't need to hear it again. We just say, I already got it. It's in, it's in God's word. Uh, but, but in terms of guidance and, and direction on things, there are decisions that, that we face that we say, I, I need God's guidance. I need the Holy Spirit's guidance on this. And so Jer uh, Jeremy prophesied, he said, you know, uh, one of the things that stuck in my head was he said, he said, Chicago and Sweetman have been written together before time began. God wrote them together before he created it. He knew this was his plan that he would send you. And it was like, what? it was this validation. And I was, I was strongly sensing in my heart, God's going to send us, God's going to call us uh, to Chicago. And it was like this, this amazing moment. And um, things like that are, are, are very, you know, they can change the course of your life, being open to hearing a word through somebody else. He also said, uh, he said, Matt, I see that you're like a, a dog that won't let go which was mostly encouraging. But you, it's never fun to be called a dog. But, um, but you know, like a, you know, a dog gets hold of a bone or gets hold of something and they're just growling and they just, they're ferocious and they just won't let go of it and you're trying to get it from them. And um, he, he says, that's what you're like, Matt. You're like a dog that won't let go. And um, if, if you know me well, you, you, you know that's absolutely true. Like I, I, I hate to quit. And if God's called me to do something, I'm going to do it, uh, even if it kills me. So, um, that, that's, so again, it was like this validating, like he didn't know me. He didn't know that about me. But he said, I, I see that God's put this in you, and he's going to use that strength. He's going to use that uh, to help get this church started and get this church going in, in Chicago. 
So that's the power of prophecy. Those are just some personal examples in my own life. Maybe you've got some examples. Maybe you've, I've, there's, I've, I've heard thousands of prophecies probably throughout my life for very simple things to very specific things for people. Um, we've got to understand, though, that the Bible, when it talks about prophecy, um, there's differences. Not all prophecies are alike. So there's differences between prophecies even in the Old Testament and compared to the New Testament. Old Testament, of course, if you're not familiar with the Bible, Old Testament is the first big chunk of the Bible, the story of God's uh, nation, Israel. And then the New Testament is the, the coming of Jesus and his work to fulfill all that had been promised in the Old Testament. So, but prophecy, even across those two, are different. But also, uh, even within the, the Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are different expressions, different variations, uh, and different. there can be different quality and scope of prophecy. One of the things that we learn about, no matter what kind of prophecy it is, is that prophecy has to be tested. You, you, when you hear somebody say something, they say they're speaking on behalf of God, you're not supposed to just automatically go, oh, it has to be true. I mean, you might feel it's true. You might sense an instant agreement with it, and that's fine. But um, especially if there's something you're not sure about, you've got to test it. And the reason you got, it's got to be tested is because it's too easy to fake this. It's really easy for people, and people who do this all the time, they make up prophecies. And people can get really good at it, too. And false prophecy, false prophets, this is something that we've been warned about for a long time. Jesus warned us of this in Matthew 7, verse 15. Jesus himself said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So Jesus is saying, hey, look, they, to, to be in sheep's clothing means they look like a Christian. They sound like a Christian. They say Christian-y things. They might even quote from the Bible. They, and they, they, they do Christian-y things. And they, there's lots of things to look at and like about who they are and what they say, but, but they're not Christians because inwardly they're ravenous wolves. They're actually uh, here to deceive you and to abuse you in some way. And the, the, the abuse of the gift of prophecy is devastating for Christians who genuinely want to hear from God, people who genuinely want to obey God, people who want to trust those who uh, have leadership gifts or have a, a, a spiritual gift of some type that might be an impressive gift. People say, I want to be touched by God. I want to experience God's presence. So well-meaning Christians at times can say like, yeah, I want to, I'm going to go to this ministry or this person or do this thing because I want to, I want to follow God. I want to believe the best. And then somebody who is a wolf in sheep's clothing is here to manipulate that person, to deceive that person, to get money, extract money, do it for selfish gain or do it for power and control uh, in their life. And uh, this is gross and disturbing and disgusting. And I, uh, I, have, I have a scale I, I, I sometimes use in terms of how do, how do you judge how bad something is? This is kind of the poor man's version of badness I'm going to give you. here. There's three buckets that you can put something in. You can consider false prophecy and false prophets, which bucket should it go in? So the first bucket of, of, of evaluating how bad something is, is to compare it to a really bad cover band. You know, a cover band is bad, right? A bad cover band is bad, but it's just annoying. It's not like, it's not evil. You know, it's just annoying, but it's still bad. The second bucket is the postal service. Does it match up? To, yeah, you know, it's, it's like, you know, it's not, it's not doing mass evil, but it's, it's, it's definitely in that annoying category, but it's, it's you know, we've got important documents we're relying on getting, you know? 
uh, that can really mess up your life if you don't get them when you need to get them, or they just don't show up at all. So it's like, that's, that's a problem. And then the third bucket is snakes. Because some snakes can kill you. And you just look at a snake and you're like, it's evil, right? I don't know how it works, it's just evil somehow. See, those are, this is the poor man's version of badness. Any, so any, you encounter anything bad in your life, you're like, which bucket do you put it in? To know how, how bad it really is. And false prophets, they go in the snake bucket. They're ravenous wolves. They're here to deceive. They're here to manipulate. They're here to take people off track. And Jesus is saying, you've got to be warned. You've got you to test what they say. And this is so serious, in fact, that in the Old Testament, if somebody prophesied falsely and they spoke, they claimed to speak on behalf of God, but they were making it up, they were given a sentence of death. So uh, we see here in uh, Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 through 22, it says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. So you're supposed to stone them, essentially. And if you say in your heart, uh, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. And it's important that it says, you know, don't be afraid of him because if God, it's a fearful thing to have God speak to you, to, for God to give you a word. Um, that, that can be a very fearful thing because if you, if, if you are disobedient to that word, you know, um, God, would, God does, he doesn't, he doesn't punish us because Jesus took our punishment on the cross, but he may discipline us uh, through that. And so uh, it's a good thing, actually, that we don't do this anymore, that we don't um, hold, hold people to the death penalty if they uh, prophesy presumptuously, because otherwise we'd be stoning meteorologists constantly for falsely predicting the future. So New Test- in the New Testament, what's different is, instead of taking somebody who falsely prophesies or gets a prophecy wrong, um, and by the way, you can, even in today's world, you can have somebody who's a genuine Christian hearing from the Spirit and they sense something from God and they, and they speak it out so it becomes a prophecy, they can still embellish it. So it's not that the word is, it's not that they're prophesying falsely, but they've pushed it beyond, they've added something to it that they shouldn't have. And that, that's why you have to wait, that's why you have to test it. See, what part, what's the good part, what's the part that's really from God and what's the part that maybe has got a little bit, a little bit of flesh in it? And, uh, the, you know, it's very easy for people, especially learning to do this, or younger Christians, to fall into this temptation, this trap, to try and sound, well, I got this thing from the Spirit, but I want it to sound more impressive. So I'm going to embellish it and kind of stretch it a little bit and go beyond what I really received. And uh, we've got to be so careful of that. So rather than stoning people for falsely prophesying in the New Testament, what we're told is, we're told that rather than the prophet living or dying, that actually it's the words that live or die. It's the words that live or die. So we see this in 1 Corinthians uh, 14, verse 29. It says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. Now, the key word there I want to point out is the word said. We, we weigh, the judgment is placed on the words. And then, of course, if we discern that somebody is actually a false prophet, they're that ravenous wolf, then we reject them and we reject their so-called ministry. But if somebody's a, uh, we're confident they're a believer, then we, we just weigh what is said and we can feel free to receive it or reject it based on that. Um, in the Old Testament, it was actually only some people prophesied. It was actually rare, in fact. If you, if you would add up 
I wanted to do this, I just didn't have any time to do it. But I'd love someone to do this for me. But if you add up how many people in the Old Testament prophesied, it's probably less than 100. It's got to be less than 100. But this is over thousands of years. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of millions of people that lived. And only, only less than 100 people actually got to prophesy. But what we learn about in the New Testament is, actually, everyone can prophesy. Everyone can prophesy. Uh, and so we see this in Joel chapter 2, verse 28. It says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Now, this, this verse should not be underrated or understated. That the, the, the prophet Joel, God spoke to the prophet Joel. So through a prophecy, it's come that everyone will prophesy. Even Moses actually said this. Uh, he, he said, I, I wish all God's people could prophesy. Um, and Moses is considered to be the greatest prophet uh, of the Old Testament of all time. And that's mainly because he received the Ten Commandments as well as other things from God. Um, what we see here is we see, um, we see that prophecy... Can you put that verse back up for me there? Thank you. Um, some, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. So there's going to be this sense of there's going to be a generation that comes that the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out and it's not just for a select few people. It's going to be, and it's not just for that generation, it's their sons and daughters as well. So it's, it's going to be a perpetual generational thing. It's not just going to be the first generation of Christians and then it goes away. It's going to be your sons and daughters. It's going to continue on. And then also when it says that uh, young men shall, uh, go back to that one, yeah, young men, old men shall dream dreams and, and your young men shall see visions. People aren't quite sure oftentimes what that means, but um, what, they don't, what people don't realize is that for the Old Testament prophets, a lot of times they receive their words from God either through a dream or through a vision. So some, oftentimes when you read their, their prophecies, they're, they're basically saying you know, they saw something in the spiritual realm. They, 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 they saw something happen. Or even, even Daniel saw, had dreams, right? And they spoke those out, right? So you, you, when it says old men and young men are going to have dreams and visions, essentially it's, it's just another way of saying they're also going to prophesy. Everyone, it's basically just saying everyone's going to get in on this game, on this prophecy game. Everyone's going to be able to get in on it. Everyone's going to hear from God in some way or another. And then fast forward to the New Testament again, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verse 1. It says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Especially that you may prophesy. This is crucial for us to understand the Bible's trajectory and the Bible's teaching on wanting to prophesy, but also wanting to receive prophecies, wanting to hear God's direction and God's voice in our lives. And so one of the other differences we see from Old Testament to New Testament is that for the Old Testament prophets, there seemed to be like a direct authority that they prophesied with. And what we see today is we see the nature of this has changed quite a bit so that anyone prophesying today is going to do it in a bit of a different spirit. Um, unfortunately, I've, I've seen over the years um, people acting like they're, they're like an Old Testament prophet or they're like John the Baptist. There's some strange figure from the wilderness who comes out. And uh, why, why do they always have to be strange? I don't understand why they always have to be strange. But they're, they're, they're oftentimes strange. And, and, and it's, it's kind of like thus saith the Lord kind of things. As if they're the exact mouthpiece of God uh, to us. And... We actually, to learn to prophesy in the age of the church, in the age of the Spirit given to us, we actually have to know our place and understand our proper place. So we see here um, in 1 Corinthians 14, 37 through 38, 
Paul writes this. He says, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Now, this is in the context of Paul teaching about spiritual gifts. So Paul lays out, this is why we have to look at the, if we're going to believe in the works of the Spirit and we're going to use the works of the Spirit and we want to be empowered by God and use those gifts to, to build up God's church, we've got to look at the teaching in the Bible and be ruthless with wrong interpretations, wrong practices, hokey things that we've heard or seen or that we're fearful of. We've got to, we've got to get rid of all that and we've got to say, what is God's word revealed? And Paul is saying this very matter of fact. He's saying if, if someone thinks they're a prophet or thinks they're spiritual, but they're not recognizing that the teaching that has been revealed to him and as an apostle and also the other, the, the other apostles, that this is from the Lord. This is from Jesus. Jesus has given us the guidelines and the teaching of how to do all this stuff. If only we'd look at the verses, if only we'd actually engage our minds and say, what, how does the Bible teach us to exercise these things and to practice these things and use uh, these things. And so from Old Testament to New Testament, there seems to be a bit of a difference in the weight of the prophecy. Or the, It's hard to describe exactly, like the, the authority. There seems to be a, a softening or a difference in, in, in the weight of authority for prophecies today. That doesn't mean they're not important. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't write them down. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't, like, you'll, sometimes you'll see, uh, if you're in a prayer gathering or something, you see someone recording, someone's sharing a word, or you'll see someone recording it. On, back in the 80s, people used to do it on little mini cassette tapes, um, which would be cool to have that. Uh, but uh, now we've just got apps, we've got apps for everything, right? So um, it's important to do that because that can help us remember the word, that can help us um, test the word because we can then really look at the ex- all the words and say what was said. You know, like, is it right? Is it helpful? Um, it helps us test it. But um, what, we, what we're not doing here is we're not uh, creating new doctrine. Someone prophesying is not, not adding to the Bible. And also, we're not trying to predict the return of Christ. And this is one of the, the things that, that can get really messy with spiritual gifts or with prophecy or prophetic things to, in today's world is that people take, you know, they can push that too far and start prophesying about Christ's return or things about what's called, you know, you know, eschatological things, things about what just a fancy theological term for like things about the end times, about the world coming to an end and the return of Christ and all those glorious things. But we have, you know, the last book in the Bible is called Revelation. It's, and it says, it's a, it tells us it's a prophecy. It's a different kind of prophecy. It's not like a congregational gift of prophecy where we might share words with each other. Because uh, it specifically says in that prophecy, don't add or take anything away from the words of this prophecy. Otherwise, the plagues that are described in that prophecy will happen to you. So pretty stark warning there, just in case anyone's not sure. Just add that in, just so you know. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. So as we're seeking to prophesy today in the age of the church, in the age of the Spirit, we're not seeking to add to doctrine. We're not seeking to um, change that. We're not seeking to, uh, you know, even Jesus doesn't know the time of his return, right? which is weird. Like, Jesus said that himself. Like only the Father knows the time of, his own, of, of the Son's return. And it's like, yeah, like that's in God's wisdom. That's in God's prerogative. Um, so there's, 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 there's a, a difference, a nuance here of the quality and the scope of prophecy. In the Old Testament, you see lots of examples of they're prophesying the coming of the Messiah. I mean, the Psalms, you read the Psalms, what are the Psalms? They're just one after another. It just seems like, oh, that's just another prediction about uh, a Messiah that's coming. 
you know, uh, it's quite amazing. And then you also see condemnation, conviction of the, uh, against God's people, right? The, the, their, their, their sin, their, their apostasy towards God. There were lots of prophecies warning them of judgment. I mean, you do see that in the Old Testament. You see, we, we can draw doctrine from those, those prophecies. They were written down for us. God has preserved them for us in his word. There's, there's a different nature, a different level of authority to them. And in the New Testament, the gift that we have received, the gift of prophecy in the church setting, in the, in the age of the Spirit, the nature of this is very different. We actually have a definition of it here in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. This is the definition of New Testament prophecy. It says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Now, if we don't actually understand this verse and believe this verse and practice this verse, we'll, we'll be confused and we'll think that prophecy will be afraid of prophecy because we'll think, think you, know, someone, you know, someone could say anything to condemn me or you know, it's God's judgment against me. I mean... This isn't saying that there can't be sometimes things that are predictive, sometimes things that are warnings. You can have warnings. There could be, there could be heavy things as well in a prophecy. But what we've got to understand, the point is that prophecy is for our encouragement, for us to be built up, for us to be or consolation, uh, to, to console us in times of hardship as well. And so this is actually, we looked at this uh, example, we looked at the example of the Apostle Paul last week. We looked at this example in the book of Acts. This prophet Agabus comes to the Apostle Paul and he predicts that Paul is going to be arrested in Rome. And he gets his belt, right? And he ties up his hands and his feet with this belt. And he says, the one bound with this belt is going to be arrested. And um, that, that's a pretty heavy prophecy to get. But that's for Paul's consolation. That's for his uh, assurance that God had a purpose in it. God knew it was going to happen. And of course, if that didn't come if that didn't come about, then you'd know, well, Agabus was, was way off on that one. Or he's either a false prophet or he's just, you know, needs to mature a little bit more in his gift or something. Something's going on. So, so if, if you get a warning from God about something and you go into it, you know, you know like, hey, God, God really has a big purpose in this because this is because... He told me ahead of time to look out for this. And actually, any time we, we face trial or difficulty, we, we, even if God t- tells us ahead of time, we can know God's always got a purpose in it. And hey, he didn't reveal it ahead of time, but tell us now, God, what is the purpose in this? But what we're looking for mostly in prophecy, we're looking, is, we're looking for messages that are they're, they're most, they're positive because they're, they're building us up. They're encouraging us. They're not to condemn us. Um, Romans 8 verse 1 says... Um, there it is. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're not here to condemn anyone with prophecy. So how do you, how do you receive a prophecy? Maybe you've never, maybe you've heard somebody else prophesy or um, you're just not, maybe you're hearing this stuff for the first time. How do you actually go about doing it? Well, the Bible seems to indicate to us here that, that prophecy is revealed kind of spontaneously, especially in a church context, that um, you might just be minding your own business, sitting there, and all of a sudden, boom, you got something. Something's come to you. It could have come before that time, but it seems to be pretty, pretty spontaneous, pretty, uh, in, you know, comes to you as, a, uh, as an individual, as a person. So we see an example of this in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, I think it's verse 33-33. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may, all may be encouraged and the spirit of prophets is subject to prophets. And so here is how this, um, 
Here's how this works. The Holy Spirit speaks to you on an individual, private level. You get something. Nobody else gets it. Other people, other people might get something similar, something that goes with it. But what you've got is unique. And what's interesting is the way that this is described, this is in the context of a, a public group. So you, you can, with prophecy, you can have a word for an individual where you just talk, share one-on-one with somebody or one or two people, you share the word. Or it, it can be for a whole group of people. And so this context here is really for a bigger group of people, you know, a church context, a public meeting, or a prayer gathering of some, some type. And so what's interesting to notice here is that the person who received this revelation, they received this word, they're in full control of themselves because they, it says, it says that the first person must be silent. So it seems like there's some kind of ordering happening here that there was somebody that was, either they, either they were prophesying, so they get interrupted, which is kind of weird to think about that, or it could mean there was somebody that was slated or set to speak first, but then somebody else gets something that's deemed to be more important or more relevant more weighty somehow. And so the first person's like, hey, you know what? You've got to wait. You've got to wait your turn. So there's some, some ordering, some organization going on here. And that, that indicates to us that the person getting the prophecy is aware. They're in complete control of their faculties. They're not like a, a puppet being controlled by God where it's like I get, get something and then I just blurt it out. Like, you know, there's the first person, oh, I've got to be silent. So, so if, if I'm ready to prophesy and I, hey, I've got something from God, it's like, no, actually, I need to sit back. Somebody else is going to share something. It's been, been decided they've got to go first now. This is kind of fascinating the way that, that Paul describes. He gives some very clear guidelines on how to actually go about doing some of this stuff. And he uses the word revelation. That word is used about 44 times, I think, in the New Testament, and it's always used to describe God communicating to us. God, so a revelation is God communicating to us. It's important that we understand that because in some academic spheres and in some theological arenas, sometimes people will claim that the word revelation only means doctrinal revelation. Maybe you've heard that before. I've, I've been in plenty of contexts where I've heard people claim this, and that's just an invention of academia. That's just an invention of their own interpretation of it. Because here... Paul is saying someone receives a revelation. We know they're not receiving doctrine because Paul's like, hey, the stuff I'm teaching you, that's from the Lord. <laughs> if you think you're a prophet, no. You've got to understand this is, this is the, the way it goes. But if somebody, they receive a revelation, they're receiving something in a moment spontaneously from the Spirit that's for this moment right now. It's prophetic revelation. We're not talking about mind reading. Prophecy is not mind reading. No, no spiritual gift of mind reading. Kind of, you know, some, some people wish there was. Um, Jesus is the only one that I'm aware of in the Bible where it says very frequently, it says he, he knowing their thoughts or knowing their intentions, knowing their, their hearts. So Jesus is on kind of a whole other level to us. God can know our thoughts, but um, I'm not even, not even sure it's clear that, that demons can know our thoughts sometimes. They can probably guess. Um, probably good at reading body language and stuff. I'm not, it's not even clear to me that they can even, they can even know the inner thoughts of a person. God certainly can. Maybe they can. I, I just, it's not clear. But um, we're not talking about mind reading. We're not talking about astrology. We're not looking to the stars to get messages. Um, we're not talking about numerology here and doing fancy things with numbers or clairvoyance. We're not talking about any of that stuff. Those pagan practices, they're practices of darkness, and 
they, they deal in kind of hidden knowledge or um, mysticism, or it's, it actually it's Gnosticism essentially, right? Where the idea of Gnosticism where you have secret knowledge and we have this secret understanding of something and you need, you need to come and be a part of what we're doing because we've got this secret group and the secret understanding and it's all shrouded in mystery and uncertainty and makes things unclear. And it, 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 and, but it's, te- it's so powerful because people are, are enamored by mystery and, and you can keep stringing people along. Like, I mean, that's why horoscopes are so like terrible because um, they keep stringing people along because they're, they're so vaguely written because you can interpret them in any way, right? You read a horoscope, you're like, well, you can find anything in any day of your life to say, oh, it's that. It must be that because it's just so vague. Um, so when, when the powers of darkness use, use these kind of prophetic things to shroud things, to confuse. But the, but the word of prophecy, when the Holy Spirit speaks, it brings clarity. It brings clarity. It brings freedom. It brings light. Light shines in. And it's for the here and now. It's not, oh, you're going you're gonna to get something later on. We're just going to keep stringing you along. But there's, there's, there's power now for you to be free of something now, for God to work now, for there to be clarity now in this moment. And so internally, the Holy Spirit gives a revelation. It says to one sitting there, right? You're sitting there. And boom, revelation comes internally from the Holy Spirit. This is how it starts. And then it's our job to humbly share that. We've got to figure out who's it for. Is God putting it on my heart for a particular person or is it for everyone? And I've got to humbly, you know, there's no need to brag about it, right? We don't need to be, don't need to be going around like, you know, well, God, God says something to me. <laughs> Means I'm a pretty big deal, right? It's not bragging about it. But the Holy Spirit gives us the responsibility. So you get the revelation in your heart and then you have the responsibility to actually voice that to other people. And um, this is, we see this example of this with, with Agabus in, in the Acts chapter 10 passage that we looked at last week where um, he's prophesying over Paul. And he says, he does say, thus saith the Holy Spirit, but he's very careful in that when he prophesies, he doesn't actually speak as if he's the mouthpiece, the mouthpiece of God. Old Testament prophets tended to speak directly. There's an example here of this, actually, Ezekiel 5, verse 5. It says, Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem, I have set her in the center of the nations, with countries all around her. So I there, I. The prophet of old, in the Old Testament, would tend to speak as the mouthpiece of God. And sometimes they would say, you know, even me, you know, me the Lord, you know, I, I your Lord. They, they would use that kind of language. When you notice New Testament prophecy, it's different. It's in um, more of the third person, right? So it's saying, look, hey, I'm sensing that God is saying this. Or I, you know, it's actually, very, I think, very humble to say, like, hey, test this, weigh this. But I feel like this is what God would say. Um, so you see an example of this in the first prophecy. Uh, let's go to the next verse here, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Sorry, Luke chapter 1. I mean, Everything else is in Corinthians, but we're in Luke chapter 1, 67 through 68. This is the first prophecy in the New Testament. And it's um, the father of Zechariah. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. So we see even the way that the, the prophecy comes in the New Testament is no longer with that direct authority, I, the Lord, thus saith the Lord, as, as speaking to you. It comes in a, in a softer form. 
actually. Uh, I don't, maybe software is not the right word for it because it's still from God and it's still important and we should still take it seriously. But there is a difference in, when you do a Bible study on this and you see how people prophesy in the New Testament, there is this shift that happens. And it's important for us to understand that, in part because we want to be humble that I might be getting this wrong. You have to test it. It may not be, it may not be exactly the right thing for the right moment. Um, the content, the, uh, let's go to the, the next um, 1 Corinthians 14, 19 verse here. Paul also says this about prophecy. He says, Nevertheless, in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in the tongue. Now again, can't wait till the week, get to the week on tongues because there's a lot of confusion about the gift of tongues. Tongues and interpretation. We've got to get some clarity on it, some biblical, biblical understanding and pull apart the verses and say, what, what does it actually mean? In this passage, Paul is comparing tongues and prophecy. So the focus here is we're looking at prophecy. But he's comparing them. And he says, I would rather speak you know, words with my mind than, than, than words with my spirit. And what he's saying there is with, with a tongue, you're, you're speaking things you don't know. You don't know what you're saying. Your, your, your spirit might be fruitful, but your mind is unfruitful. But he's saying with a prophecy, you're speaking things from your own mind, things that your mind can understand. But also it comes, um, it's, it, Paul says, it, um, words with my mind. Now, that's a, a lot of people miss this. When, what Paul is saying is saying when he's prophesying, the words are coming from his own mind. So the Holy, here's how this works. Is the Holy Spirit puts a revelation in your heart. You receive something. You receive an insight. You receive something from God. And then the Holy Spirit gives you the responsibility. Where it says the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets, the way, one way you can interpret that is that the Holy Spirit actually subjugates himself to the person that he gives the word to and allows us to use our own words to describe what we're feeling and what we're sensing, which is an enormous responsibility to have, which is why we have to be so careful and so humble in how we use this gift, which is why we, we should want to seek it, but we've got to seek it in that spirit of love. And so actually we can affect the, the, the power of, or the, the impact of a prophecy by our tone, our pace, our choice of words, even our body language. Every, everything about how we go about communicating from God can help the word really bless somebody and be for their benefit, or we could do it in a way that actually, you know, they end up rejecting it or it ends up being confusing just based on how we go about it. The word itself might be golden. The content of it, of what we've got, might be amazing. And if it's from the Holy Spirit, it would be. But because we have this ability to, we, we, to use our own mind, our own words, to communicate it. I remember years ago uh, in a church and a gentleman shared a, a prophecy or he was going to share a prophecy and he, he had this thing and I was uh, helping to test and weigh, weigh the words. And so what he got, I think, was from the Holy Spirit. It was good, but it wasn't exact. It, it, it was a little theologically wonky. Just some of the language he was using, some of the things he was saying, just it was like, mm, this is, could create some confusion. So we had a little chat about it. And like, hey, it might be helpful to reflect it in this way. Maybe switch this word for this word just to help avoid any confusion on that. And it still gets your, the, the thing that the Holy Spirit is saying to you still gets that across. And his response was, well, the word is the word. What I got is what I got. That's it. And I thought, well, that's unfortunate. That's not what the, that's not the, the New Testament's teaching on, on how this works. Like, otherwise, are you claiming that you're the infallible word of God? That you, you, you might not be embellishing or getting this wrong somehow? Um, what's the point in having others test it or others weigh it? What's the point, the, the, the purpose of that, the point of that? If, yeah, what, what, why would you do that? 
if you're just, you can just automatically speak the words of God. So we want to be super careful. We want to have that, come into it with that spirit of love. We want to, let's read those verses again from um, Paul when he talks about love. Those next verses, if you please. 1 Corinthians 13, the classic verses. We read, read them last week, but let's read them again. If, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. Here is the problem with receiving a power gift from the Holy Spirit, especially a gift of prophecy, where you, you're predicting something in somebody's future, or you're, 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 you're speaking something profound over somebody. It has that alluring sense of power to it. But the, the gift of love and the, the character of love is not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not impatient. We've got to be those who are practicing that love. Now, as it relates to the gift of prophecy, we might tend to think that prophecy is all about prediction. It's all about just knowing the future, isn't it? And that, can, that is a big aspect of it, but that's an, the wrong way to frame prophecy. Prophecy is mainly about edification. It's about that encouragement, that upbuilding, that consolation. Um, I've seen this before as well, where a group of Christians were... They were trying to test their powers of prophecy and they were writing words on bits of paper and then putting them in envelopes and putting them on the table and then other people were trying to use their prophetic powers to try and figure out what, was in, what the word was in the envelope. And yeah, it's kind of hokey. As, no, it's not kind of hokey. That, that is hokey. That's, that's, that's not how this is supposed to work. Um, we're, not, we're not trying to use, our, use these powers um, in this kind of way. Otherwise, otherwise, you could technically, if you, you get really good at predicting the future, you could start buying lottery tickets, right? That's not the, not the purpose of this, this gift. Actually, there was a, a prophecy in the New Testament that prophesied a famine. And so, so there was a collection taken up amongst the saints. There's, there's collecting the money. There's, a pro, there's a, this famine coming. It's in um, Acts chapter 10. And um, the result of that is not that the believers are like, oh, wow, we were able to predict this prophecy. Look how amazing we are. Won't people believe in God now because we're so good at predicting the future? The, the, the outcome was that they helped all these believers and helped all these churches who were experiencing a famine. They sent them money, they sent them food, they sent them supplies. That was the point. Of getting, the point of getting the prophecy was to help people, not to be impressive with the accuracy of the word. It's for our blessing. So as we're delivering a prophecy, we don't want to be too performative about it. We don't, we don't want to be distractingly performative about it because we don't, you know, we don't want to to pull rabbits out of hats or do magic tricks with it because um, that takes away that our ego is getting in, in the way of that, right? Um, but that doesn't mean we can't be creative in how we prophesy. So I think prophecies can come in songs, right? We've got this verse from Ephesians 5.19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual Songs, and I think that's referring not to tongues. Actually, I think that's referring to a spiritual song is a probably a prophecy because it's communicate, it's communicative. Somebody understands what's being said, whereas a tongue you don't understand uh, what's being said. And so we see this example with Agabus, right? He gets the, the belt and he binds up Paul's hands and his his feet, and he says the one bound up is going to be arrested. So that's is that too performative? It's a little, it's it, it, it's borderline in my mind. It's like it's it's it's. It's creative, for sure. Um, 
we weren't there. We don't know how it went. So we're like, Ag- Agabus has a flair for the dramatic in his, in his prophesying. So we're like, all right, Agabus. All right, we get it. Uh, Paul's going to get arrested. But we want to we be careful in how we use this gift, that this gift, that the purpose of the gift is to bless people because it can change people's lives. It can change the direction of their life. If God speaks to you for somebody else, step out and share it. The gift of prophecy is the primary gift in the Bible. It's more prevalent than any of the other gifts. It is the cornerstone gift. You might receive a dream. Maybe you've already received a dream and it's for somebody, it's for our church. That's a prophecy. Maybe some, some, uh, this has never happened to me, but I've heard of this happening to some people where they'll literally see words written on people or over their heads. Uh, that's amazing. You see that? Speak it. Prophesy it. Maybe you have a thought occur to you. Something you just can't get out of your mind. You just keep getting this thought come into your mind. Pay attention to that. Like, oh, is that the Holy Spirit doing that? Some people call that an impression or you maybe you get a mental image of something. Something just keeps coming back to your memory. Something you're, you're being reminded of a, a scripture. Something comes to mind in the Bible. You're like, oh, is that the Holy Spirit prompting me to share that with somebody? Some people sense things in their body. I don't know how this works, but sometimes people have different feelings in different parts of their body, and that's like God is using that to communicate. And then you have to discern, okay, who's that for? What's that about? What's going on there? It's, honestly, some of these things are, are a bit strange, but if something supernatural is happening, guess what? It's going to be a bit strange. That's typically when supernatural things happen, there's something always a little strange about it because it's, it's otherworldly, it's out of this world. And we shouldn't be put off by that. We should expect this is different to how I normally experience reality. Normally things, you know, I can touch everything and, you know, everything, everything adds up. But when God starts moving, God starts speaking, anything can happen. One thing that is clear is that all Christians can prophesy. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 31 it says, for all can prophesy one by one. So that all may learn, and all, look at that, all may be encouraged. Again, another confirmation of the purpose of the gift of prophecy is that we get encouraged. But it says you can all prophesy one by one. That doesn't mean we would literally have every single person in a church service get up and prophesy. We wouldn't have time for that. There are other verses where Paul's like, hey, you need maybe have a couple of people do it at a time. But the point remains that everyone has the ability to hear from God and communicate that to other people. And it's got to be weighed. So how do we weigh it? Well, in a church meeting like this, this is how we do it. I've got, I got, I got three tests that I use. There's different ways you can measure things, but three, three tests. My first test is, is this theologically sound? Because God's not going to say something that's in contradiction with his word, because he's the same God. So is it, is it, is it, does it fit with Scripture? That's the first test. second test I put on a word is, do I trust the person? Because of that, because that whole false prophet and false prophecy problem. And also immature Christian problem. How much do I trust and know this person? If I don't trust them or don't know them, I'm not happy with them prophesying. I'm not happy with them sharing something. Because, well, their heart's not in it. Their heart's not good. The third test to put on it is to say, okay, it might be, from, you know, it might be theologically sound. It might be from God. I might trust the person. But that doesn't always mean that it's for right now. Might mean it's, it may not mean it's for everyone. It might be for that person. It might be for somebody else, an individual. If it passed those three tests, then on a Sunday, we would have somebody share a word. And we, if you see people get up during worship and share words, or our worship team will share things, those are prophecies. There's different spiritual gifts, people speaking because the Holy Spirit has stirred them, given them a revelation, and they're sharing it with others. 
If you receive a word from somebody, somebody prays over you and they, they, they share a word with you, it's really wise to have more mature Christians to share it with them and say, do you have a peace about this? Does this sit well with you? That's another good test uh, to do on it. And if, if, if there are people that agree, you know, that doesn't sit, sit quite right. I remember years ago getting uh, our youth group, somebody came and prophesied over our youth group, the, the church I grew up in, and they had this word that we should open up a coffee shop. It was a big prophecy. This youth, we're going to open up our own coffee shop and we're going to do this ministry and we're going to reach all these homeless people. And, and uh, we, all, we, <laughs> we talked about it afterwards and we're like, we don't think that's from God. And we're like, we're just a bunch of teenagers and like, we're not going to run a coffee shop and be reaching homeless people. Like, adults need to run that. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the person was very energetic, very excited about this prophecy. And we were just like, it, it just doesn't resonate with any of us. We just don't feel like this is the right thing for us. And that's why it's important to test that. Because if that had been God, we would have had faith for it. We would have said, oh, that, that, there's faith for this. Yeah, we need to move into that. But without that, we were like, Maybe that, wasn't, maybe that was for somebody else. Maybe he's, next month that guy's going to be like, you know, I got the wrong group. Like it's a, it's a word for just mixed up the groups. You know, you've got to be gracious about these, uh, these kind of situations, right? I want to encourage us all to seek to prophesy. Seek to hear from God. It can change your life. It can change other people's lives. And start with baby steps. Just today, ask God, put a revelation in my heart. Start today with that. That's the baby step. Say, God, Put a revelation in my heart. Put something in my heart. Help me know who it's for. Help me know, is it for everyone or is it just for one person? And it's your responsibility to step out in that. Prophecy is so important that one of the things that our faith rests upon is this idea that Jesus was promised, right? We have over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament predicting the coming and the particular nature of Jesus' life and ministry. God used prophecy over generations, over centuries, over a vast period of time to tell us of the greatest thing that's going to happen, that he's going to come in flesh to die for our sin, to save us forever. This is how important. Now, we don't prophesy in that same way today. The nature of prophecy is different, but that shows us the power of it and the importance of it. And if you don't believe in Jesus, yet that's a, that's a big reason why a lot of people believe, do believe, do find faith in Jesus because of all the predictions and prophecies that he perfectly fulfilled. Even the place of his birth fulfilled prophecy that you can't even choose that. You can't, even choo- you can't choose where you, where you were born, but Jesus was born where it was prophesied. He would be born. It's a glorious thing. And we were, we were told in these prophecies that he would suffer and die for our sins. Let's sing about the work of Jesus and his great power to save us. We are, these prophecies of old, we're told that Jesus is going to lay his life down for us to save us from our sins. We're going to sing and we're going to worship him today. Come, if you, if you don't know Jesus, put your life in his hands. Turn to him today.